Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Our next guest, Travis Johnson, moved 36 times before graduating high school. When you move that many times, you have to learn how to make friends with people along the way. Now he's made it his mission to help the helpers. Travis, welcome. So I was looking at your bio, and of course, the first thing that jumps out at me is you have survived two murder attempts. I'm sure that's like the thing that people ask you first every time, right? No, most people are too chicken to ask me about that. What? I've only had, out of all the interviews I've done, four have asked me about that. Like they ask me, you know, is there anything off limits? Is there anything you don't want me to talk about? Like I'm still active duty Navy and what I do on this airplane, like the specifics are classified. So I obviously won't answer any of those questions. But I'm like, no, he asked me whatever. And I'm like, I'm prepared to engage on some of this stuff. And then like, they don't ask. Yeah. So what was growing up in your house like? Pretty dang interesting. I uh, want to know like what you were told as a child that no longer rings true. Well, too much. I'm going to answer that question in a second. But like growing up as the child of someone with bipolar type one disorder with psychotic features which is what they call any anything sprinkled in there so like my mother has delusions delusions of grandeur and hallucinations audio and visual visual hallucinations so when she's not taking her medicine or when she is under a lot of stress or any other number of factors you know it can cause a scene it results in a lot of moves it results in a lot of things so like I moved 36 times before graduating high school. And those were largely when she was going into and out of treatment, we would have to go live with a family member or go live in a different foster home or whatever the thing is. And when she got out, she hadn't paid rent in the places she lived in for however long that was. So we'd have to go move somewhere else. And where was your dad? Trying his best to be part of our life. But when the mom behaves in that way, it's hard to really be a part of our lives. It wasn't, it wasn't until I moved out at 16 to where I could start having a relationship with him. Wow. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, first of all, like, when did she start getting on medication? Like, when did she figure out this was a problem? She was late into her teens, I think, when she was, when she was diagnosed with this. But that doesn't always matter. There's a guy out there, Kevin Hines. You can check him out at Kevin Hines' story. He actually has the same condition. But the voices in his head convinced him to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he did. And obviously lived to tell the tale. And it wasn't until actually he came to speak at my squadron did I learn that hallucinations could be a part of bipolar disorder. And that for me, like my understanding, that was the piece that I was missing to what it was. So he has the art of wellness, the 10 things that he does to be mentally well most days. And I've gone through those things and I've done the things with my mom, but it's really easy to get knocked off course. Like for instance, if you go out late and you get back home, it's late at night and you go to sleep and you didn't take your medication and you wake up the next morning, one of the first thoughts to someone that has these kind of problems is, well, I didn't take my medication last night. I don't know what they're talking about. I feel great. Obviously, the medication is still in your system and all of those things. So of course, you're still going to feel great. But then you now convince yourself that you don't need it. And that's usually when the spiral 
happens, at least in her life, or, you know, some traumatic, stressful event can really knock you off course. It sounds like you love your mom though. Well, of course. Why wouldn't I love my mom? I mean, her going through all of those hard times and all of those moves and anything, it, I mean, did it cause any resentment? Well, I mean, it caused all sorts of things. You know, I turned 40 this year, you know, growing up in that situation, you don't know what's going on. It wasn't until like fourth grade after I'd already moved a dozen or so times that I realized that I was the only one moving. Like, I didn't know that was my regular rhythm, whatever you're conditioned with, no matter what it is, that's what you think normal is. Uh, which is why a lot of adults have problems because they were conditioned one way to think what is or isn't normal and find out that, hey, man, you're the only one doing this. Why are you doing it this way? So like in fourth grade, I really started, I really took a turn to like, well, why am I trying to behave or do good things if what I do doesn't matter the relationships I build? I'm just going to move away in a couple of months. So I got to a place where I would lie, cheat and steal and just say outrageous things because I didn't think there was any consequences. And I was right. Right up until the last move in fourth grade. And then we stayed there for three years. And I was like, oh, great. Now I got to live with my choices. You know, I got to live with my behavior and consequences. So that was no fun. But you see things in a different perspective, though. You see things that other people don't see. You're exposed to things other people aren't exposed to. And, and thank God that, you know, the mass population isn't exposed to these things. But it really allows me to give a different perspective on life and what it means to be under stress and what it means to have mental health problems and what that really means and what it really looks like. What did you see that others don't? Did you ever hear this growing up? Like you're doing something and the adult that's doing it with you is like, we're, we're doing it this way. And you're like, well, why are we, why are we doing it this way? And they say something like, well, it's my way or the highway, basically shut up and color, just do whatever we're doing. And I go move somewhere else and live somewhere else and be in the exact same situation doing the same thing, but we're doing it in a different way, but they still have the same attitude. Well, it's my way or the highway. That's how we're doing it. And you realize that there's not one way to do things. There's not one way to do life. There's not way to do one way to do processes or whatever the thing is. There's other ways to do it. And if you're open to it, you have access to those different things. So when roadblocks come up in life as an adult or at work or in the Navy, because I saw all these different viewpoints and perspectives, I was able to take different types of action that really put me on the top of the heap. And I'm like, where did you come up with something like this? And my answer is usually like, well, you don't want to know. But it really helped me gain that perspective that was needed to do something different and do something amazing. Do you still try to get perspectives from all kinds of people just so you don't get like stuck in a rut or a one way I, of doing I, things? I'm a question asker. I understand that even though I might be good at something like maybe being a podcast host, like your podcast host, I'm a podcast host, even though, you know, that's a thing, I still realize that I don't know everything that even though I've been doing it a certain way, maybe there's a way to tweak it, or maybe there's a whole other system that I'm not familiar with. I can be like, oh, what's this thing? Anyone that had problems during the last year of the pandemic that didn't flex in some way, shape, or form, they're shutting down their nonprofit, they're closing their business, they lost their job, whatever the thing is, because they weren't able to change and roll with the punches. Yeah. So tell me what doesn't work in nonprofits or in fundraising. The same thing people have been doing for 50 years. This stuff's no longer working. They're missing out on things like relationships. They're miss missing out on monthly recurring donations. They're missing out on partnerships that actually generate revenue every month because they feel that the way they've been doing it is the only way it needs to be done. And you bring in the new, people have been calling me the nonprofit heretic the last couple of weeks. 
because my ideas are so far outside the normal of what nonprofits have been doing. And they're like, well, we don't have time for that. Yeah, but these 30 things that you're doing, 28 of them are you just treading water. You're not actually swimming. You're just splashing around, not getting anything really done. You're not moving the needle forward. You're not building relationships. No new revenue is coming in. But why are you going to say yes to those 26 things or 28 things that you've been doing when they do nothing for you and actually onboard a new process that actually will have an actual benefit for you? And they don't want to do it because that's the way they've always been doing it. So why would they change? I interviewed Didi Kiso earlier today. She, Our interview won't come up for a couple of months, but she broke down how she does six-figure fundraising on every stinking event that she does, following the same system, doing the same things over and over again. And just like me, she gets the same calls and they're like, well, I don't really know if we can do this or we're not willing to take direction. They think they have their own ways and their own sense. Don't like you invited 700 people to this thing and you lost seven grand when you did it, but you want to keep doing it the same way you did it last time, even though it clearly didn't pan out. It clearly didn't raise money. What most nonprofits do is they have some number that they need every month, right? To order to fulfill the budget. They've decided on a budget and that's their goal for the year is to get that budget and they divide it by 12 and they go out and they, all right, our budget is 36 grand. If we're going to do all the things we said we had to do 36 divided by 12, that's 12, that's three grand a month that we need. So go out there and get this three grand this month. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you look at it that way? Why, why is that the way we're doing it? So our big programs are converting your social media followers into monthly recurring donors and building out these partnerships. And I was like, what if you like offer them a free t-shirt, a free mug or a free whatever in exchange for 20 bucks a month? Well, you know, that just really wouldn't work. It's like, well, really it works for all my clients. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And you show them like we've had one gal that with one social media post trading a free t-shirt for 20 bucks a month, she had a hundred people say, yes, that's two grand a month. Well, if you need to get three grand a month, now you only have to figure out how to get $1,000. And if you do the same type of offer the next month with a different product or a different thing, and you've got another hundred people to say yes, now you've got four grand a month coming in, but you don't have anyone you need to call and follow up with because you already met your number for the month on day one. So when you're in that situation, you're able to say no to more work and yes to more money. And that was from only two social media posts. Now, what do you do? Now you build real relationships, real partnerships. You make real impact with your nonprofit. Stop scrambling. There's no badge of honor for you running yourself through the ringer each and every month, scrambling to do this stuff, getting out your tin cup and begging for money. There's no advantage to that. You don't have to be a martyr to deliver services for a nonprofit. Yeah, we got to go back to the murder attempts and what no longer <laughs> rings true there also, because I didn't get the story about the murder ah. attempts. So when I was 10, my sister chased me around the house with a butcher knife. I can't remember how we got there or why that situation occurred, but she's got the knife and she's lunging after me trying to kill me. Uh, and I got away, tired her out, whatever the thing was. And then a few years after that, I was 15. So five years after that, we were down at one of my uncle's houses and my mom was going through an episode and we got kicked out of the house. It was about two in the morning. And this is before cell phones and smartphones and all this stuff. And I drove to the nearest major city. We're about two hours from our home. We went to St. Cloud, Minnesota, brought her to the hospital, got her admitted and going through the paperwork stuff. Well, my sister and I fell asleep right on one of the hospital beds and I wake up, my mom is straddled on me with a pillow over my face, trying to smother me because it was my fault that she was in the hospital. So I grabbed my sister, hopped in the car and started driving 
to my dad's house a couple hours north of that. So it was probably about five in the morning. We pulled over at a rest stop and and took a couple hour nap and then continued up to his house after we woke up. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, I can't imagine my kids right now. My daughter's 18, my son's 12. I can't imagine that kind of scenario, but at least they would have you know, GPS on their smartphone trying to drive somewhere. Whoa. How did your dad react to all of that? I couldn't tell you. I cannot remember for the life of me the next whatever unfolded directly after that. I have no idea. You just completely lock it out? I have no recollection. I could probably ask him. Be like, hey, dad, you <laughs> do you remember them splitting up? Oh, they split up when I was like two or three. Mm. Yeah, we had a couple of stepdads in there. They didn't last too long. A couple of months each, I think. Did you want things to be different? Like, did you want your parents to get back together? Well, I didn't, I didn't know, right? I never saw what an example of a household that had a family together looked like. And I had nothing to miss because I didn't know any better. I just wanted the craziness to stop. Wow. I didn't know what the fix was. Did the craziness stop? Oh, I moved out at 16. I said, I'm moving in with grandma. And if you love me, you're not going to say anything about it. And she never said a word. Moved in wow. with her, finished my time in high school. Uh, it took a year after high school to find myself and <laughs> realized with my criminal record, my family background and my GPA, I wasn't really fit for much of anything. And luckily I convinced the Navy to bring me on board and allow me to go to boot camp and have a career. And I'm coming up on 21 years of service. I'm still active duty Navy stationed at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma City. I got commissioned a few years ago and I fly the airplane in the background here, the E6B Mercury. Yeah. I heard you talking about that on one of your shows. It's like nuclear or something. Yeah, we do nuclear command and control. What exactly is that? We provide the command control and communications for the president and secretary of defense so they can command and control the nuclear forces. Whoa. Okay. So no wonder that's classified. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to give you the details of the ins and outs of what I do. Interesting. But you've really, first of all, thank you for your service. That's a very long time. Hey, you're worth it. <laughs> and Wow. Like what made you want to take that oath other than criminal record and like finding yourself? If I was going to have any kind of chance at life, I had to find an opportunity for growth and advancement. Because at the time, the time after I graduated high school, I was getting up at like three or four in the morning to go open up at Burger King as a shift supervisor. I run across town for lunch to work the lunch counter at the bowling alley. And I don't know, where are you at? Where are you located? I'm in Chicago, but I grew up in Kentucky. Right. So Chicago, right? The Northern northern states, their bowling alleys are nice and they have great food. I'm in the South right now in Oklahoma City. I tell people and they're like, what do you mean you go to the bowling alley for lunch? I'm like, look, y'all's food sucks at the bowling alley. You just have, like we had like handmade pizzas, malts, Philly chicken. Like we had like amazing food, but I'd run across town to go work the lunch counter at the bowling alley. And then I'd have like a nap and I'd go unload truck at Walmart from 5, 5 p.m. to two in the morning. And I did that five days a week. And my dad had approached me. He's like, hey, there is a, a maintenance job. He was a boiler tech in the Navy in the 70s. And then he got out and got his boiler inspector license and some different things. Eventually was the chief boiler inspector for the state of Minnesota, which was kind of cool. But he's like, yeah, there's this maintenance job over at the, the local college here in town. And we can get you on at like 18 bucks an hour. And as a 17, 18 year old kid, 18 bucks an hour, I mean, that's really good money, especially when minimum wage is like 515 or 550 or something back in the 90s. Like that's 
like legitimate money. And I told him, no, I wasn't interested. I think he was a little sad, but he's like, well, have you looked into the military? I was like, you have opportunities for promotion. Everything is laid out. You can see the world, you can do stuff and you can get away from all these things, right? You can change your scenery. I'm not a huge fan of changing scenery to change your life, but in this case, because I've moved so many stinking times, I'm up to move number 50 and I'm tired of moving. I'm not interested. Yeah, but, I was going to uh, ask you if you're staying put now. <laughs> yeah, when I when I retire here shortly, probably next year, I plan on staying in Oklahoma City just because I'm not interested in moving if I don't have to. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm really good at it. I'm a pro. I've got the system down. You think you get yeah. better at it? So like one of the things I learned from always being the new kid is how to be comfortable in any situation, how to talk to everybody, how to figure out what's going in town and, and make connections right away, which has helped me a lot. And it's actually hurt me a little bit because like when I go to a networking event and people are trying to feel each other out, I'm already comfortable. I'm already comfortable. Like we've been friends for 10 years and they're not yet as comfortable with me as I am with them. With the things that are behind you, like if those are significant, right? So talk to me about <laughs> all of the items that are behind you. Sure. Here, we'll give you a little, little scoop. I know you use the video here going up. These are the, uh, the Naval Flight Officer wings that I earned going through flight school after getting commissioned. I got these in like summer 2013. That's a huge milestone. There's other than the Special Forces, aviation pipeline is have the highest rate of attrition out of anything. Everything is the lowest score you can get is an 80. So anything below an 80 is a failure. Uh, you have three failures to get out of the program. And then if you go through all the flights and all the different simulators and all the things you have to do to get qualified, the amount of people that drop out is, is very significant. So you know, starting in a class of 30, finishing with like 18-ish people, and then moving on to see if you can make it through that stuff. That's, you know, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. And you have to go through Seer School where they chase you through the mountains and capture you and beat you and all of these things that if you ever watch G.I. Jane, that's Seer School from like the 90s in San Diego, I believe, which it's dramatized a little bit, but they still smack you around. I don't know if they still do or not. It's been a few years. But, you know, going through that whole process, learning how to fly, getting through ground school, understanding you know, the Navy's requirements and what that looks like, going on to getting a specific jet and getting qualified and getting through that school and getting your wings and going through seriously. Like that's a, like that's a process and a half. It's cool. Yeah. I want to know more thing. about that. What sticks out in your mind about that? Like, are there days where you're just like WTF? <laughs> so one thing I did discover is like flying in small airplanes, like a, a little Cessna 172. I'm not a fan of. I was terrified the whole time I was doing it, getting qualified. And then like 13 hours of flight time in on this tiny airplane, they're like, all right, go ahead, take it up, do your solo and go fly by yourself. And you take off and you go up to about a thousand feet and turn. And it's called the pattern, right? You come down, make your radio calls, come in and land, taxi around. You do that three times by yourself. And you have a checklist that you run through. And I added some things to checklists. Like after every check I did in there, I added some choice, colorful phrases and cuss words at the end of every thing that I did. I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing this. Because I was scared. So a lot of people love it. A lot of people are just like, this is crazy, fun, and exciting. I'm just like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, yeah. Was that your first time in a Cessna? Uh, those 13 hours, yeah. Those 13 hours of flight time, 13 and a half, I think I have in the Cessna. Like that's my only time ever in a Cessna. <laughs> Yeah. Have you jumped out of planes? I have. 
I have. So my full military experience, I worked on F-18s on ejection seats in my first tour, did a, a mechanic tour on the E-6B Mercury that I now fly, did an instructor tour, went to school, flight school, came back, did three years deploying and then teaching how to fight this airplane. Went out to Bahrain, this little island in the background here for about a year and a half and came back and I went to aviation safety officer school, which is really cool because you learn how to CSI a plane crash. You can walk through and tell you what happened. Did it break up in flight? Did it hit the ground intact and then break up? What part failed? Why? How did this happen? So after I had all that experience and ejection seats and been through flight school and aviation safety officer school, my friend convinced me to go jump out of an airplane and you get in a Cessna, <laughs> right? And you take off. And then the door opens and then everything I know about aviation, I'm like, I'm above 10,000 feet without oxygen. My feet are hanging over the edge of this airplane. I'm about to jump out. Do I know nothing about aviation? Like, what am I doing? Successfully landed, of course, and had a wild time doing that. Yeah. So speaking of missions, I am curious about like your mission of nonprofit work and how you've helped raise so much money and get people out of debt and all of that. Can we transition into that? Sure. Right. So all of the time growing up, that was tumultuous. And I knew more about the judicial system than most adults will ever have the experience of knowing, you know, there's people that help you. You've got like guardian lightings, you've got social workers, you've got therapists, but you've got individuals and nonprofits and churches and all these people willing to help keep you sheltered, clothed and fed when it's just not working out for you. And now that I'm in a position to give back, I feel like it's my duty, my mission to help the helpers because the next person you help might be the kid that turns out to be the next me. And uh, I think that's pretty powerful. And why wouldn't I want to help get that thing going? There was, um, you mentioned about paying off debt. I used to run a blog called Warrior's Wallet after we I got eyeballs in debt and found the holy saint of indebtedness. Maybe you've heard of him, Dave Ramsey. You know, we got onto his programs and we started following what he was doing. And he's great at taking a train wreck and turning it into a solid foundation. Does he got everything right? I don't know. Does anyone have any everything right? But he's really good at, at cleaning that mess up. And that's what we did. And as soon as we started doing it and paying off debt, we're like, why aren't people talking about this? And then you find out things like money, sex, religion, politics are like the big battleground discussions, but we just started talking about it. We talked about it in the Navy. We talked about it in church. And before we had known it, we had helped 400 families pay off $6 million in debt over 15 years. And it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of great conversations and people tried to convince me to turn it into some kind of business. And I'm like, I don't want their money. I'm not interested in that. Uh, and I kind of got out of that game and got into the nonprofit space a little bit. Didn't know what to do. I got to a point in my life, it was like, I've been in Oklahoma City a long time, but I don't feel like I'm part of the community. I feel like I'm home. I feel like this is what the feeling of home feels like because I've never felt the feeling before. In my mid-30s, but I figure, figure out what the word of home actually is. And then I asked her, I was like, what do people in communities do? Like, if I say I'm part of a community, what does that mean? And, you know, you turn up for public discussions, you help nonprofits, you donate, you volunteer, Whatever the thing is, you get your name on a building because you've given so much money. And I was like, I want to be part of the community. You know, like, who do I need to talk to? My friend Charles is like, I know who you need to talk to. And he set up a little networking meeting and I went there and I didn't know anybody in the room, but I am who I am. I uh, went to this networking meeting and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know who I was supposed to meet. All I know is that I could show up on time with a good attitude, ready to help. And if you're listening right now, showing up on time with a good attitude, ready to help, 
those are the things that is the first step to any success in any venture. Do those things and you'll be just fine. But the guy I was supposed to meet knew who I was because he knew everyone in the room but me. He sat down across the table from me the whole time I'm talking to Miss Patty. And I'm, and she's like, well, who are you here to meet? I was like, well, I'm here to meet Grady. She's like, oh, well, he's right here. He's listening to the whole time, the whole thing as we're doing this. But those connections led to being included in the South Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce and the Shine Foundation on the books by vets. And I got to be a published author within like three weeks of that meeting. And we did concerts with Wanda Jackson, Merle Haggard, Chris Christopherson, BJ Thomas, Alan Parsons Project, Jody Miller, some of the old school, like rockabilly into rock and roll, wonderful acts, you know, raise a lot of money for a good cause. So had a lot of fun doing that. We helped publish a couple of books that got uh, Walk With Warriors that I'm featured in as one of the 22 veteran authors. And then the follow-up Resilient Warriors, which is 22 female authors. You want to hear some tough stories, go ahead and read that book. It's on Amazon. Good luck getting through it with the dry eyes, but a lot of good stuff out there helping veterans get published, helping them share their stories. And as soon as you share your story, you realize that you're not alone. And that's one of the key things to do to avoid suicide or help reduce suicide rates, knowing that you're not alone. So got involved with that. Got Did you say over. that's a big passion of yours is helping veterans? Not veterans specifically. And some veterans hate me for saying that because I, they're like, we should help veterans. Like absolutely help veterans. But there's a whole lot of other people that I can help too. Definitely want to help as many people as possible, which is one of the reasons I started the podcast. I got stationed over in the kingdom of Bahrain, this little island looking thing here in the background if you can see this on the video it's a small island in the persian gulf between saudi arabia and iran and we were out there when i got there like may 19 to july june 20 something like that so just over a year out in the kingdom of bahrain i got out there and i was like i want to make sure that i my family stayed in oklahoma city i want to be out there be productive make sure i keep myself out of trouble and like what am I supposed to do for nonprofits? I can't do that nonprofit stuff I was doing. How can I still help those out? And someone's like, well, Travis, you do have the gift of gab and you've got this sweet radio voice. Why don't you start a podcast? So I had no idea what I was doing, right? <laughs> Again, if you haven't yet hosted 10 shows, chances are you're awful at it and that's okay. As long as you're willing to be the, the student, you can learn and, and move forward. You know, started the show out there and we've had, a lot of success. It's been going for about a year and a half. We hit number four in the US, number six in Canada, number three, I think in Switzerland or something like that. Got featured in Podcast Magazine as a top 25 veteran hosted podcast. Got featured on Speed Feedspot. I always say that backwards. Feedspot in the top 25 nonprofit podcasts. So we must be done doing something right. Also, I am like really curious about Bahrain because I've never been there. Like when you first got there, what did you think? Oh, like most things I do for the first time, I'm terrified. Terrified of podcasting, terrified of flying, terrified of jumping out of planes, and then terrified of the Middle East because what do we hear on the news? How much, let me just ask you, I'm asking the questions for the next 10 seconds. What do you know, what kind of news makes it overseas? So what kind of news do we get from the other side of the world? That it's terrifying there. Only, only thing we get like is bad news, right? Yeah. All we get is bad news, right? Yep. Fun fact, only news they get is bad news from America. The only news that makes it over the ocean is bad news. Because anything that's good news is not really news, is it? 
Right. That's just the way things normally happen. Totally. So I didn't know what to think. I'm going to a Middle Eastern country. I got there during Ramadan. I didn't know any of the rules yet. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what to think, right? What I found was, is that in Bahrain and every country, it turns out there's people there and people there are like people here. We have jobs and we have families and we want to do good things and make sure our kids have it better than we had it. And if you're young-ish, you want to go out and have a good time and have whatever you think fun is at the time. And that's largely it. It's a lot like New York City, as in there's just a whole slew of people from other countries there. I also learned that they don't have a problem with Americans or Christianity. There's Christian churches there. And I walk around in my Jesus t-shirt and no one cared. I went to the mosque in shorts, talked to a woman about all the things. And she's like, what questions do you have? And I was like, I want to know about bacon, hijabs, and terrorism. And she's like, sure. And we talked through all of that stuff. And it was so eye-opening to understand and learn all the things that I, that I don't know. You know, because all you see is what you see in the news. Like, you know, newsflash, this terrible thing happened. And we're blaming, pick the population or the country or the religion or whatever the thing is. Until you get there and you're like, tell me about this. And you're like, oh, those people... Those people are not Muslim. You cannot follow Allah and the Quran and behave that way and consider yourself a, like they're not Muslim. I bet you never would have expected that as a child. No. What I expected as a child was to never have anything, never to be able to find a wife, buy a house, own a car, get married. Like I didn't expect anything. My life was trailer parks and foster homes. My dreams were to get through the next meal. Who helped you get to where you are? A lot of people. Jesus, my wife, the Navy, and a whole slew of other people yet to be named. It sounds like the Navy really was a positive influence for you. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter where you come from. You show up on time, clean shaven, ready to work. They tell you what they want you to do. You just do it. And they're like, wow, this guy's great. Here's a promotion. Like you do all the stuff they want you to do again. You get another promotion. They give you a little responsibility. And you're like, man, this sucks doing it alone. You make all the guys working for you, get the same qualifications. So, you know, divide the pie better, right? So you're not doing everything. And you're like, wow, this guy's got leadership. Promote him again. <laughs> like they tell you everything they want you to do. As long as you do what needs to be done, you live by the core values. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your life looked like. You can make your own destiny. You know, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, you got to go as a team. You got to work together. That's not my quote. That's someone else's quote. I don't know who the, who gets the credit on that one. It's not me, but. It's so true. You got to build up the people around you. Have you been able to deeply communicate and work on your relationship with your mom? Yeah, we have a great relationship. If she is, I take the few, first few moments, right, to assess what's going on in her world, right? So I know if there's a problem, if she's heading down the road or where she's at, when everything is as it should be, she's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. The only time she's ever tried to do me any damage at all was that one incident where she was in the middle of the fit, in the middle of the bipolar and that, that incident there. What about your sister? She's not currently in my life because I don't allow that kind of behavior in my world. Wow. Regardless what the reason is. And some people tell me that's kind of harsh. And some, I tell those people like, what amount of DNA do we have to share to allow them to treat me like crap? or to be toxic, or to create problems in my world. 
Does sharing a certain amount of DNA make that okay? I have to be nice to myself and nice to my family and enforce our boundaries first. At what point did that happen? <laughs> well, when I moved out, I really didn't talk to her for the better part of 15 years. Wow. And then just wasn't part of my life, you know. I was in the Navy and gone and she stayed in Northern Minnesota and didn't have a lot of contact. And she moved down to Oklahoma City to try to reconnect with us and be a family. And I gave it the legitimate opportunity. She may disagree, not really interested in her opinion on the matter, but integrated her into family and family events and doing things. And she did everything she could to shoot herself in the foot at every interaction. I feel like there's always some of those family members that are just really, really hard to navigate. But you really, really do have the choice whether or not you're going to allow them to infect your world. I know she is a energy vampire and she ain't coming in unless I invite her in. That's all the vampire rules, right? They got to be invited in. I ain't inviting that in. Wow. Also, like, (laughs) what was foster care like? Foster care for me was a breath of fresh air. You don't hear that that often. I hear that every time I say it. (laughs) You don't hear that very often. Uh, I'm in a stable household with food for every meal, with a schedule, with expectations, with guidelines, and they follow through with what they say they're going to do. What more could you ask for? And how exactly did that unfold? Well, every time my mom needed treatment, she would have to go to treatment and either we would live with a family member or foster care wasn't always a family member willing to take us. Oh my gosh. Just like my sister's not in my life. I'm sure there's other family members that saw what was going on with us and they were like, not a chance. And I don't blame them. That's a lot to, to knowingly let into your house. That is a huge responsibility. Have you ever thought about being a foster parent for someone else? Uh, definitely have, have talked about it and wait until post Navy life to make that a reality if that's something we choose to do. Wow. I'm also interested in how your childhood has affected your parenting style. (laughs) Well, it's been very interesting. So my wife grew up on the farm with no drama in her world. Her parents were together the whole time. Dad's parents were also on the same farm and her life was pretty steady the entire time she grew up. And then I had, I don't know, pick a card, any card. That's what you're getting today, right? You have no idea what's going on. You have no idea, you know, if you're going to go home and be in the same house or come home to a load full of boxes, you have no idea if there's going to be a social worker taking you out of school to take you to another house to live in. You don't even know where, you know, your mom's at or what that looks like. So a lot of, a lot of uncertainty. So like getting married, like I didn't know what a husband was. I didn't realize that all the experiences we had, we had created a list of, of expectations that we didn't know we had, right? Like in her mind, growing up, mom took care of the groceries and everything inside the house. Dad took care of the cars and everything outside the house, like so the entire farm and job and all that stuff. So she treated me like she treated her dad, right? She walked by me and she's like, hey, my car needs an oil change. And in my mind, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. Right. There was no one to pass it off to. So in my mind, I'm like, well, you better get your oil changed. But in her mind, it was like, you're the guy you're supposed to go get to the guys. You know, but you have to learn that stuff because you don't know what those expectations are because you've never had to think about it in that way before. So I learned a lot of stuff. I learned that guys listening to this, this is important stuff here. If they say 
hey, we're getting low on milk. What that really means is the next opportunity, you need to bring home some milk. That's what that means. It doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Well, sorry for you. It sounds like you're pouring OJ on your cereal because I don't, you know, great for you that you need milk because guys are very direct. If we're, out of, if we're running only milk, it's like, hey, man, could you bring home some milk? Cool. Like, it's very direct. Do the thing. Do the task. Oh, hey, do the dishes. Cool. I know how to do that. I can do dishes. But girls somehow think that's mean or not nice to be direct like that. Uh, really, we just know what the hell they're talking about, really. You want to weigh in on that, Rena? Oh, that's very true. I was going to say, do you pay attention to like eyebrow raises? Because that gives it away. Like <laughs> We're getting low on milk. Carney's to oil change. <laughs> yeah. The more you see the eyebrows raise, like, you know, the seriousness of what needs to oh, happen. Yeah. Or how are you doing? Fine. That's a lie. That's a bold-faced lie. Women will lie to you and say something like fine when really what they're saying is a cover word to not say, I'm going to kill you later. Like that's what they're saying. Did you yeah. end up around 9-11? Did you see any of that? I joined the, the Navy in 2000, July of 2000. And I was stationed in Lemoore, California at VFA 125, go Rough Raiders, working on F-18s when 9-11 okay. happened. Do you remember? I got a phone call from my dad. He's like, wake up. I said, what? It's like, what is the time difference? Like 5.30 in the morning? I was like, what? what? what's going on? He's like, turn on the TV. I was like, okay, you know on the TV. I'm like, what channel? He's like, any channel, right? And then I saw the second plane hit and my dad was in the, the Navy Reserve at the time. I was like, what, what is going on? And he's like, we're under attack. Wow, he knew. Yeah. I was like, what does that mean to me? He's like, you better go into work like five hours early. And he wasn't kidding because every base was on lockdown and they were doing full car searches on every single person that came onto base. And if you weren't there with a military ID to work, you weren't getting on. And they weren't letting people that lived on base get off base. Have you ever questioned your faith during your service? A lot. You know, why, why do things happen the way they do? Why did I have the childhood like I had my childhood? Why do all these things work out this way? It raises questions. Does it raise answers? Like one of the, the main facets of especially the New Testament is they're asking you to have faith. And that faith, that belief in, and they've taken that little section of what they're talking about faith, because they don't say faith in the Lord, faith in what they say faith. So you have things like the secret that got released and the law of attraction. They talk about faith or the belief in the thing that's going to happen the way that's going to happen. And I know that ah, I'm not going to get the quote just right, but I know Billy Graham was asked about this. Like, how can there be a God if there's so much bad things? He's like, well, how can there be dirty people if there's so much soap in the world? You still have to apply it, right? Just having soap and soap as a thing doesn't mean you're clean. Just like having the Lord and having faith in the Lord doesn't matter unless you apply it. I love that. That is such a good line. I have not heard that. That's really good. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Ooh, how bad was it really when Rena was a teenager? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I really want to know. I don't really understand what it looks like or what it means to, to be a kid. So like getting back to the parenting question, like when we had my daughter like 18 years ago, I'm like, well, now I've got this thing that makes noise and eats and poops and screams and sleeps sometimes. Like I don't, I don't know what the heck to do. Just like anything else, you have to make a theory, make a plan and try something and see what works and what doesn't work. The biggest thing that I can say is being consistent. 
with your kids. I didn't know this. I learned this, you know, being consistent. Uh, there was a time like, if you do this again, Alyssa, I'm going to spank you. And whatever you have promised, you must do. And I think I don't know if I ever spanked her after that. Cause like, ah, I don't know if this is the right kind of way, but I told her I was going to do it. So then I did it. I'm going to change it for next time. But like I said, I was going to do it. So that's the thing that I'm going to do. But you learn and you, you're never prepared, right? I wasn't prepared to join the Navy until I was in the Navy. I wasn't prepared for marriage until I was married. I didn't know how to podcast before I started podcasting. I didn't know how to fly an airplane before they sent me to school. And you're not ready for anything. Everything is terrifying. Everything is impossible until you do it, including parenting, this or anything else. And you learn as you go. You try to make informed decisions and you try to ask around and say, Hey man, you've got like three kids. So what do you, what do I do in this situation? And they might say something helpful or they might just say, just hold on for dear life, man. Like you never know like what's going to, you know, you don't know, but you surround yourself with the right people. You educate yourself. You work on yourself. You find the people that you want to be like, and that's the people you keep in your circle. It all builds on itself, but you have to be around the right people. You've got to show up and be ready to work with a good attitude. And you have to be willing to take feedback and know that when you start something new, it's going to be scary and you're probably going to suck at it, but you got to do it anyways, because that's what needs to be done. I think that's really good advice. And I feel like that is advice that is attainable. Like you really can find the people you admire and welcome those people more around you. Like that to me feels like something that I could do. Like when people are saying do the 75 hard diet, that does not <laughs> seem like something that I can freaking do right now. But I do know who I want to be like. And yeah. I do, and, and I invite those people on my show. And yeah. I stretch to hang out with them. And I think that that is great advice because that does make a big difference in your thoughts, in your actions. And I read those people's books and I listen to those people's shows <laughs> and I watch their IGs and it does start to change your thoughts. I think that that is great advice. Thank you. Thanks so much. If, if you're out there listening to this and you're trying to figure out what the heck we're talking about, take a, take a stock and the people that you see on your, your Facebook, your Instagram story, your, your Snapchat, who's texting you, who's calling you, who's emailing you. Was it like Marie Kondo? Like, if it doesn't give you joy, just let it go, right? There's these people that when their name shows up on your caller ID, you look at it and you cringe. You're like, oh, I want to talk to this person. If, they're, if they don't live in your house or they're not in charge of your paycheck, don't answer it. Change the relationship. Some of these people that are in your world, they don't know that you're having a hard time with it. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been amazing. So let people know how they can connect with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm a nonprofit architect, everything. If you throw me in Google nonprofit architect podcast, I'm like the first stinking three pages of Google. So if you can't find me, uh, I can't help you anyway. That's just how it is. But check out my show nonprofit architect podcast on all the channels, pick a channel. I'm on there. If I'm not on there, let me know so I can get added. I don't want people not to be able to find me uh, nonprofit architect on Facebook. I respond the fastest on Facebook, that messenger pops up and I just want to answer. Or you can go to nonprofitarchitect.org. If you go to slash resources, you can pick up my 15 reasons. I think everyone in nonprofit in the business world needs their own show, their own podcast. There's a paid version with all sorts of whiz bang stuff in there. Get that if you want to, but get the free guide, right? Get the free stuff, figure out what I'm just giving away. And then, uh, you know, shoot me an email, nonprofitarchitect at gmail.com. Okay, this is so much fun. Oh, 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 oh,
Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This is your interview with Travis Johnson and with Rena. Very interesting conversation. And it really brings up that important question is that no matter how you start off in life, and you could be in a war-torn state, you could have a mother and father that completely possibly fail on the job as parents. You could have siblings that could be running around with a steak knife trying to kill you. There could be all kinds of adversities that you experience in your life, maybe even moving 10 or 20 times from place to place. And yet, under the right circumstances, with the right encouragement and the right programming, does it really matter where you came from, what family you came from, if we have a, a network that can show you the right, the right way? And isn't that what the, the armed forces did for Travis, where it gave him a chance to escape all the traumas and all of the confusion and all of the, the chaos in one's life? And when you have some order, orderly to it, where you have teamwork and effort, where others matter as much as yourself, and where promoting yourself is by helping promote others, how everyone moves along on that chain or takes that train ride together, that camaraderie, that loyalty, that dedication to your country, having real meaning in your life, all of a sudden you can turn any nightmare into a beautiful dream. I think that's a good title. <laughs> of course, I can relate to the toxicity of people. I've been around thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I've worked with. And yet, just like what Travis has learned, as we've learned from other episodes, is that you want to surround yourself with positive people and that you want to be able to have someone who has that experience. You don't jump out of an airplane without having someone that has done it 200 times, but to have the courage to try to do something when you're with an expert, you are willing to maybe go for that, that ring or do that crazy stunt because it's not so crazy when someone who has masterful experience is helping and showing you the way. This podcast that he came up with, he even did it in another country. He did it out in the Middle East and to learn how to make all the right connections and do the advertising and be able to express yourself. There's a learning curve to everything in life, but going for it and doing it and trying to take those hurdles is what life's all about, is to be able to face different challenges and figure out a way to succeed. And the way to succeed also is to do it with people that are positive and want to do it too, that want to build and progress with their lives too. And sometimes, because we find that life is very short, that you could even have a toxic sister and you're better off, even though the connection of family means so much to all of us. But if you have someone that's toxic, that's a friend or was a friend or a worker or someone that you're soliciting for business or even your own sister, you're still better off not making them part of your life if you can't make any progress. And you know, the saying that I've always said is that if you can't move the needle in a positive direction, and you're just getting nowhere, doesn't matter how many times you try, that if you can't, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might, can't make any progress with someone, you're, you're just wasting your time. You could do it a million times, but if you get zero results, 
it's still zero. So you're much better off using your precious time to surround yourself with positive people and positive thoughts. The nice thing about Travis is that with all of the negative things that he experienced in the beginning of his life, he's turned it into positive motion by knowing where he doesn't want to be, helps him be a better father and husband, a, a team leader for whoever wants to work with him. He gives it his all and wants to be with people. And he measures success by how many people develop and grow with him, where it's just not about him. And that is the proper philosophy of life. One thing that you were saying about you know, you have to keep making progress, but also you have to keep reviewing your goals. And are you making progress? Does something need to be shifted? Right. Sometimes because we hate to take defeat, we'll bang our heads against the wall until it turns red, as my dad would say. And then you say, oh my gosh, my head really hurts. So the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes you also have to know in your heart, even though it's really something that you want to accomplish and whatever the specific thing is, but you have to be able to also understand that you have to sometimes re-examine what you're doing and see if it's really worth it and whether all that effort is getting somewhere. Sometimes you just have to find another path to get there, but sometimes you have to realize that it's blocked and it's not going anywhere and you have to change directions and you have to pivot and maybe do something else. It can happen to the best of us that sometimes that path has to be actually changed and altered and you have to just drop whatever that project is and really understand that it might might not work. Look how Travis also brought up that when he's working with certain nonprofit organizations or if you're working with even a synagogue that has board members that have been on there for 40 years, they've got to do it exactly the same way and they are not open to new ideas or new people's input. And when you're not open-minded to listening to others and you think you know it all, then you don't learn or grow. You, you actually peek out yourself and some of the methods that might've worked 40 years ago, they might not work today. And you have to be able to adapt to the times as well. And a lot of people don't want to relinquish their position or their power that they have even if it sounds like a great idea, if they didn't think of it, uh, they don't want to do it either, which is pretty silly and pretty, pre- pretty juvenile. <laughs> even though the person might be 60 or 70 years old, they're really acting like a two or three-year-old where they just want to hold on to that pail at the beach and not let anybody else have it because it's theirs. There are a lot of people that are like that as children and adults. They never grow up. Very interesting fellow. All right. And you certainly were a handful when you were a teenager, if uh, that's what he wanted to know. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that you'll be 42 years old this year and you're still a handful. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am a handful. You definitely you have to sure hear it daily. <laughs> I'm a lucky man. Aw. Okay, I'll call you back. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 